the Sunday Sermons Podcast. We're in the middle of a series simply called Jesus. We're exploring the, the teachings and everything about Jesus, the things he did and the things he did not do, just trying to get fresh eyes on who he was and become more like him. But if I were to ask you right now, uh, just out of the clear blue, what does it mean to be more like Jesus? Let, let me just ask you that and, and just think about that for a second. What does it mean to be more like Jesus? You don't have to answer me out loud, but here's what I almost guarantee. Every one of us is somewhere on a spectrum of things that are about Jesus, but there's probably something very specific about Jesus that you're thinking of. Something that's your favorite thing about Jesus, or something about Jesus that bothers you, and it's really hard for you to be like that, or something that bothers you about somebody else, and you wish that they were more like Jesus in that area. There's something probably very specific, but what we're trying to do is really just get to know him, period. We want to get the entire spectrum. We want to be like him. There's a couple things we got to remember. One, we can't be Jesus. There are so many things that are completely unique about him. There are so many things. He is the only begotten son of God. He is the only one who could save us. He's the only Messiah. He's the way, the truth, the life. And yet, through him, we can all be the children of God. Through him, he not only invites us, he commands us to be part of helping the world be saved through him. We're part of that family, part of that process. And there's so many other ways that we absolutely can be like Jesus if we fully embrace our Father's business the same way that he did. I've got a couple of pans here. You might have noticed them. You might not. They were, they're kind of small. Got a whole stack of them. Just wanted to show you. Uh, this kind of represents what we sometimes call the gospel. Because a lot of times we make the gospel a lot smaller than the way that Jesus presented it. And I think that's kind of sad. Uh, a lot of times here, here's when we say we're sharing the gospel, what it ends up is like this. You are a loser and you're going to go to hell and suffer for all eternity because of it unless you pray this prayer or do this one thing and then you won't. And that's the good news. And I'm not really, I'm not saying that that's not true, but I'm not sure that's the whole picture. So then, then we get excited and we go, wait, that's not the whole picture? There's more? I'm supposed to, oh wow, I don't just, I also need to get baptized, I need to start reading my Bible, I need to start doing, uh, and, and we go, yeah, but is that the whole thing? No, there's so much more. And then we go, wait a second. So I've repented of my sins and I've been baptized and I've got the gift of the Holy Spirit. He gives me specific gifts. I've got a role to play. I now can be intimate with the Holy God of the universe. I can actually talk to him. The Holy Spirit will intercede with me, or intercede for me with groans that I can't. Ex wow. But there's more, isn't there? And we can just keep adding, and here's what happens. Every time we find that next new step, then we go back and we try to tell all the other people, y'all are just missing it. You just don't even know the whole thing. Look, 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 look at this thing. And it's not that that's wrong, is it? Each one of those pieces is good. But what we're remembering and what I keep noticing more than ever before as we're going through this series, and as I'm walking through it with you, is this. The only version of salvation... That all the times it's mentioned in the Bible that somebody is saved. The only version that all of them fit into is this one. And that's this. We talked about last week. Jesus is king. 
Jesus is king, and whatever he says goes. If Jesus says repent, if Jesus says get baptized, if Jesus says live your life this way, if Jesus says go into all the world, if Jesus says stop doing this, stop doing that, it matters because Jesus is king, and what he says goes, that's the gospel. And all the other pieces of the gospel fit into that. Does that make sense? I hope that, I hope that gets clearer to me and to all of us as we get, go through because every one of those pieces does matter. But it only matters if we really get that as the context. So let's jump back in this morning. Jesus constantly met people where they were and invited them into a new beginning, into a new start, a fresh start, something brand new. This was his personal disciples and everybody else he met. Here's where we left off last week. Jesus went, notice he's going where the people are. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria. And people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. Notice that every one of these groups of people that Jesus is reaching out to, and then as he moves around, people bring to him, they're marginalized people. They're people that don't fit in. They're people who either physically can't or emotionally can't or for whatever reason, socially, they're ostracized. They have real physical problems. They have demon possession. They have so many different things. But Jesus makes it possible for them to get back in touch with their families again, to get back in touch with God again. And he's intentional about reaching out to all of these. I'd like you to say this out loud with me. We reach out to outsiders. If we're going to follow the example of Jesus, we've got to remember at all times that there's only two groups in God's, God's way of looking at life. There's insiders and outsiders. There's his family and the people who aren't his family yet. And by outsiders, that's not our enemies. Those aren't the people that we don't like. It's not the people we're against it's just the people that aren't family yet. And if we're going to follow the example of Jesus, we are not going to stay in one place. We're going to move around trying to find more of these outsiders and invite them to become insiders. And the more we walk through this story, you're going to see, if you're following the 100 Days of Jesus Challenge, you're going to see this happening over and over more and more as we go. He spends most of his time with people that are marginalized. He intentionally reaches out to the people that other people would not reach out to. See, Jesus knew that sometimes the least likely people to follow God are actually the first ones in line. Because the only reason they're trying all that other stuff is because they want love. They want forgiveness. They want a genuine new start. They want to belong somewhere. They want their life to matter somehow. And Jesus knows that when they actually get to see the truth, the way, the life, sometimes those are the people that are most open to trying that brand new start he's offering to every single one of us. 
One of the stories that I keep coming back to over and over is right here in the middle of where we're studying this week. And that is Jesus' trip through Samaria when he spoke to a Samaritan woman at a well. How many have heard this story before? I, I think it's interesting, just a couple of details to point out. Uh, Jacob's well is not mentioned in the Old Testament, but if you want to see where Jacob set up his camp and he got started and clearly created a place for his flocks and his people and, of course, built a well, that's in Genesis 33. But everybody knew this was a well that Jacob and his family had built, and it was just accepted. It's not in, it's not in the Bible, but it... It's in history, and everybody knew this was Jacob's well. Another thing is, it says in a moment that Jesus was tired from his long journey. It was almost a 65-mile walk. It probably was a couple of days, and when he gets there, it's high noon. Let's just jump right into the scripture. Now, Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea, and he went back once more to Galilee. Now, he had to go through Samaria. Let's pause there for a second. He didn't have to, except what he knew he had to do that day. This is not talking about there was no other way. In fact, the Jews regularly would find any other way but to go through Samaria. But Jesus had to because he had an appointment this lady didn't even know about. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. You've probably heard this before, too, if you've heard this story. Most of the time, they got water in the cool of the day, early morning at night. This lady was probably getting her water at noon because she wanted to be alone. And here's Somebody waiting for her when she gets there. A stranger. Pretty awkward. But man, it got good. See, Jesus was reaching out to somebody who was arguably the outcast of all the outcasts at this moment. In that culture at that time, women were not valued near as much as God values them and as we value them. And and that's just not okay, but that's how it was. So her being a woman was a strike against her at this moment. Also, her being a Samaritan was a strike against her. And not only that, she's known, she's got a reputation that's not good among the Samaritans. But this is the person that Jesus picks out. He knows something about her that nobody else does. And he knows that she's the one who has the potential to actually change how things work in this whole little town. I love how The Chosen portrays this. Um, this is the actress they chose. They had a, 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 if you haven't watched that, I encourage you to try it. More than, not because I believe every single extra line or every, other detail, every single extra detail they've added, but what it's caused me to do is go back into the scripture again and go, wait a minute, did they really say that? Is that really who that was? It, it, it's something that causes me to study more. It causes me to use my imagination more. If you, if you, don't, if you can only do one thing, read the scriptures. But if you've read the scripture several times, it's worth watching The Chosen, and it really has ignited my imagination. But one of the things I love at the end of this scene is as she's running off, she says, I'm going to tell everyone. And Jesus says, I was counting on it. (laughs) 
And that actual line is not in the scripture, but it's his intention absolutely is. This was an appointment that Jesus made. This is why he had to go through Samaria. Watch what happens next. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. And when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed two days. This is a problem, not for us today, but for them and the followers that he had at the time. You don't go to a Samaritan house. You don't eat Samaritan food. You don't use their unclean utensils. You don't drink their unclean water or any other unclean. You don't go there. They stayed there two days. They slept there. They hung out there. But as Jesus normally does, he reverses his stuff. Instead of just avoiding what is unclean, he walks right into it and makes it clean. He walks right into the disease and fixes it, makes health out of it. He walks right into death and he makes life out of it. And Jesus walks right into a Samaritan village and makes the first little community that actually accepted him as the Messiah out of it. Because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. Everybody. We see this pattern over and over, though. This is just how Jesus did. And this is also, as we're going through the story, you'll see this one this week. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house. Remember, Matthew was a tax collector. And, and they didn't hate tax collectors so much because they had to pay taxes to them. Nobody really likes that, but they, that, that was okay. They all knew that most of them were corrupt. And just the whole idea that they represented the oppressive Roman government was the problem. Those were the things that really offended people. But Jesus calls one of those guys to be one of the disciples. In fact, he also called... We'll see this in probably next week, I think it is, is where we'll get there. But he also called a zealot to be part of that. A militantly political, a militant political activist who hated Rome. How do you think that Simon the zealot and Matthew the tax collector got along right at first? <laughs> but, 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 but notice it's Simon the ex-zealot and Matthew the ex-tax collector as soon as they start become the followers of Jesus. He gives everybody a fresh start. Everybody. And that's the beauty of what he does. And that's part of why he's reaching out so far and wide and drawing everybody back in. But while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came to eat with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Around hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. I love this about Jesus. I love that he gives us mercy. Notice he doesn't say, It's really okay. What they're, re what they're doing is really not all that wrong. We just all need to relax. He doesn't say it's not wrong. He, mercy means it is wrong. 
But I'm going to give you another chance to get it right. That's mercy. And that's what he offers to every one of us. And that's what every one of us need. In Luke 6 it is one of many places where he says this. And this just takes it to the next level. This shows how much Jesus was passionate about reaching out to outsiders and how much we need to be as well. He says, but to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. I hope that you go back and read all of these passages verbatim later, but just, just keep looking at these key things he's telling us. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners, as in outsiders, people that aren't in the family yet, even sinners love those who love them. I think there's more. Aha. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. And then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because He is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Notice last week we looked at where He said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. When we do the stuff that God does, when we're about our Father's business, the, people see the family resemblance. And they're not drawn to us so much, but they're drawn to God, just like we are. And the closer we all get collectively to God, whatever direction we're coming from, the more we get closer and closer to God, the more we get closer and closer to each other and actually start to be a family. Is this tracking? You good? Here's the second big idea that we all need to get from Jesus' example today. We invite outsiders back into the kingdom. Let's say this together. We invite outsiders back into the kingdom. And that word back is really important. Because here's another part that when we tell the gospel and all these layers of it, and whichever layer we like the best, one of the ones that we tend to forget the most is this. Underneath all the distortion, underneath all the brokenness, all the twistedness, all the sin, all the junk that at best can be, God will give us mercy for and at worst we'll get punished for. Underneath all of that, we were made in the image of God. We were designed in our basic, most primal design, to love and be loved. To be eternal beings as well as physical beings. To be souls as well as minds and bodies. To crave relationship and belonging and, and to do something that matters with our lives. To know God and to know others and to be part of something bigger than ourselves. And all those things that he calls us into in his kingdom... That was embedded deep, deep, deep down inside of us. The very thing that's designed to draw us to him is the very thing that draws us to sin. Because sin promises us all those things that our hearts are made to crave. Does that make sense? 
It doesn't deliver like we think it will. But it offers those things. And so we're drawn to it. And we go here and we go here. And that image just gets completely distorted. But back at the beginning, here's Jesus saying, no, 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 no. Come on back. Come on back. And that's the gospel. That's the gospel. It's not that we were just innately sinners. That from the get-go, everything about us is just broken and wrong. But for some reason, Jesus died so we don't get punished for it. It's so much bigger than that. Yes, we're broken and wrong, but it started out, we were part, he wanted us to be part of his family. The broken and wrong stuff happened. He did what it took so that it could be possible for us to be family again. And then all this other wonderful, beautiful stuff about him being the king and us being the new kingdom. And all of that together is the gospel. We invite outsiders to come back in. We invite outsiders to come back where they belonged in the first place. But for whatever reason, just like we used to be, they've been led astray. Matthew 8. Another snapshot of Jesus reaching out to outsiders. When Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him. And said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said. Be clean. And immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy. Then Jesus said to him, see that you don't go tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. That's a clear reference back to the law of Moses. This is what had to happen. If you somehow, some way, got better from leprosy or something you thought was leprosy, there was this ceremony you had to do. You had to offer a sacrifice and present yourself, and they'd examine you, and they'd tell you a certain way to bathe, and you had to burn some clothes. You can go back to Leviticus and read all that if you want. But you said, you need to do that. You know why? Because he gets to go home now. He's healed in that moment, but now he's got some other stuff to do to make sure that he can actually go back into his life. He can go back and rejoin his family. He can go back and start worshiping at the temple again. He can go back and actually start in this fresh new life, living as a kingdom person instead of as a leper or whatever else had defined him. This beautiful little story in and of itself is just perfect as it is, but it's also a micro picture of what the gospel looks like. In the moment, in the moment that you give your life to Jesus and you respond to him the way he tells us to respond, we get healed, we get fixed, we get saved. But it's only the beginning. He really wants us to live out this new kingdom thing from that day one. When the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. Let's pause there for just a second. This is weird to us, and, and it makes this next part not make sense. It took me a long time to figure out how this works. How is this lady behind him and crying on his feet? The clue is right there. Maybe it didn't take you guys ever any time at all, but they, they didn't sit at a table. They didn't have chairs back then. They would kind of lay next to a very short table. So if you're laying on your side, kind of eating, which is really awkward. I don't know why they did that. I kind of like chairs myself. 
But if you're laying there and your feet are sticking out off to the side, it's actually really easy for somebody to be behind your feet and crying on them. Make sense? All right. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. And then she wiped them with her hair and kissed them and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of a woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. By the way, that's a little clue there, too. That's a little microcosm. That's how you should always respond to Jesus. If he says, hey, I've got something to tell you. And if somehow in your head or your heart you actually hear your own name, the, the appropriate response is always going to be, tell me, teacher. Do you understand? It, like, listen, if God speaks, we listen. Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Now Jesus tells him a story. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. Now, oh, I'm sorry. Did we skip some? All right, let me go back. Yep. I'll tell you the story. I meant to do that. That's my mistake. Can we get, come back? Sorry about that. Sorry, everybody. He tells him this story, and I think you probably heard this. And what, what happens is one person owes a ton more than the other. I'm keeping it short because it is pretty simple. One owed a ton. The other didn't owe that much at all. Now he asks him this question. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You judge correctly, Jesus said. And then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So once again, if I'm obsessed with one, any one of these layers, this, this verse could totally throw me. Does that mean that for us to be saved, that we have to cry on Jesus' feet and wipe his feet with our hair? Nobody believes that, right? No. But who saved her? Jesus. Is this making sense? And we know exactly from Acts and so many other places, we know what we're supposed to do to respond to the gospel. We know why we pray, why we get baptized. We know all those things, and they're super important. But it's Jesus. It's Jesus being the king that's at the heart of every single version, every time somebody gets saved in the Bible. No exception is the three lost stories he tells in Luke chapter 15. The first one is he tells about a lost sheep, and then he talks about a lost coin. Those are actually, if you really pay attention, they're actually more questions. It, it, rather than a story, it's, it, it, he says, which of you, if you had a lost sheep, if you had a hundred sheep and one was lost, wouldn't you go look for it? It's more of a question. Or he said, if, if a woman only has ten coins and she loses one, isn't she going to go look for it? And he does it in such a beautiful story kind of a way that we see them as stories. But the third one absolutely is a story. And he says, there was a father and he had two sons. You've heard this one, right? Hallelujah. The 
older one stays home, but he just doesn't get it. The younger one goes far, far away and wastes everything. Time, money, energy, his health. He just loses everything being an idiot, basically. How many have been both of those sons? I'm raising my hand. And isn't it wonderful that Jesus restores both of them? He invites both of them back. After the party and the older son, when he's all mad that he accepted the other one back, Jesus invites him back in and says, you just don't even know me, I guess. You don't understand what you've got, but let's, let's do this differently from now on. And when he sees the other son running in, and that's why he throws the party. He's excited that he's coming back. He invites him back home. And this is what Jesus wants for all outsiders. This is what Jesus wants us to want for all outsiders. And not just want it, to absolutely be about reaching out to them and inviting them back in just like Jesus himself did. Thank God... Thank God, because we got invited back in and we accepted that invitation, this is true about us now. This is Peter writing in 1 Peter chapter 2. He says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. The question is not, should we reach out to outsiders? The question is, how? Would you say it out loud with me one more time? This, this should define us. I know it's true. It needs to be 100% across the board all the time true. Let's say it together. We reach out to outsiders. And here's the other thing that has to be 100% true about us. All across the board, this should define us in every part of our lives. Let's say it together. We invite outsiders back into the kingdom. One more time. We invite outsiders back into the kingdom. Again, the question is not if, it's how, where, when, who. This is so clear. You can't miss it in the example and the teachings of Jesus. So I'm going to invite you back in this morning. I need invited back in all the time. But I don't know what you, anybody in this room necessarily is struggling with, but this is, this is an invitation that's always there. Maybe you're the older brother this morning, and if we looked at your actual track, track record, we go down your checklist, there's really nothing we see that there's a problem. But you know in your heart, things aren't right with your Heavenly Father. He's inviting you back in. He wants you to enjoy the party. Maybe you're the younger son this morning. Maybe you've been running hard. Maybe you've been wasting lots of everything that he gave you. He's inviting you back in. He wants to throw you that party. 
Maybe you've never actually been saved. Maybe you've never had an experience where you actually, at that moment, threw it all at the feet of Jesus and then did what he told you to do in response to that, to repent, to get baptized, to live the rest of your life building the kingdom with him. Maybe you've never had that moment. This is your moment right now. I invite you to do it this morning. Maybe, I don't know. I don't know what else it might be, but I guarantee you this. He's inviting you to reach out more if you're a believer. And no matter how long you've been a believer, or if you're not a believer until right this minute, he's inviting you back. Please respond as we stand and as we sing. Uh, my dad's going to be down here. I'll be at the back wherever you're more comfortable. Just come and talk to us if you've got a decision you want to make. We're all going to stand. We're all going to make this, this commitment together as we sing a song to God.